when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And you're listening to episode 66 of the Feelin' Film podcast. It's been a busy week of travel for me, but I am finally home, much like the hero in the film we are discussing today. We are, of course, talking about Spider-Man Homecoming. Peter Parker's return to the big screen, but this time under Marvel control. Soon enough, we'll discuss what we thought of the movie. But before that, Patrick, I was just in Arkansas for the last couple of weeks on and off. I miss you already, brother. How have you been? (laughs) <laughs> well, the feeling is mutual. I miss you too. Our bromance is blossoming nicely, it would seem. Uh, <laughs> as far as what I've been up to and how I've been, it's been very busy. Uh, last week of work was fairly busy, but I don't think it compared to the weekend that I had. I got a chance to participate for the third year in a row, the uh, 48-hour film project. I posted Ooh. a little, yeah, I posted a little bit on it on Friday when we had our kickoff. And so I have been in the process of uh, writing and directing and working with editors and cinematographers and uh, composers and actors and all these other people that help make a movie what it is, whether good or bad. And we have been uh, just tirelessly working to get a film shot and scored and edited. And we finished tonight, which I was very, very proud of the final product. Unfortunately, we missed the actual deadline by like an hour due to issues with uh, rendering and our software crashing about 30 times over the course of the day. No. And so, so while that's somewhat disappointing, we, will, uh, we, we still submitted the film. It's going to get screened in about a week along with 11 other films from our group. And those films along with about 12 others from another group will be voted on. And in the weeks following that, while we will not be eligible for any kind of awards like you know Best Picture and Best Cinematography and those types of things, we are eligible for a potential fan favorite from our group. And uh, so we're hopeful that the, that the film is um, worthy of, of that. But at the very least, we'll get a chance to see our movie uh, next to other creatives. And uh, that's always a lot of fun. So had a great time this weekend. I'm, you know... Personally, I'm very proud of what we've produced. Uh, it's very, uh, it's got some good humor in it. Um, for five to seven minutes, you know, it, it can't really have a ton, but it's got some good humor. Uh, some of the camera work is fantastic. Um, we were uh, fortunate enough to draw uh, martial arts and or uh, and or uh, coming of age as our genres that we were required to. So you made the Karate use. Kid, right? Basically, <laughs> that was some inspiration there, and also Bruce Lee. And uh, but no, we did not use the coming of age genre. We used the martial arts, and so we went more of a Bruce Lee espionage action adventure. And uh, we had a main heroine instead of a hero, so that added some some nice flavor to it. But uh, overall, man, it was a great weekend. I'm tired, but it's a good tired. And I'm again, like I said, I'm very proud of what uh, came of this. And as soon as it is eligible eligible to be released, I'm going to post it up on uh, in the Facebook group and have people take a look. Awesome! I'm sure that they will enjoy the heck out of that. I love getting to see 
these films every time you do them um i know so last year you were the director did you serve as the director again i did yeah i directed i i wrote and directed this year and um my editor who I, I worked with last year, we actually were able to get another cinematographer. So he was able to spend the majority of his time doing the editing the next day. So it was a lot of pressure off of him to shoot all one day and then edit the next. But, um, the cinematographer that we had has won a couple of awards in the past at the 48. So we knew we were in good hands with, with his expertise. That's fantastic. So yeah. was there, Anyone else that you worked with on from the last year was it a carry was some of the team a carryover cast or crew? Mm-hmm. So I directed. I uh, had the same editor and the guy that composed our score from last year came back and he scored this year's, which I think is just incredibly better. And it's not that the last one was worse because it wasn't; it was good. But he just really knocked it out of the park, which makes the ineligibility of the film such so much more of a heartbreaker because. You know, he put a lot of time into it, and uh, I really wanted him to get an opportunity to win the best score category. But we used a couple of actors from last year. We had some we had some new people come in, but for the most part, it was about seventy five percent the same team, which is nice because when you work with the same people, you get to know their quirks and their tendencies and their strengths and weaknesses, so you can cater to all of those things. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I figured. I, I'm I can't wait, man. I I've been excited about this for you. I love getting to talk to you about it the week before it happened and knowing it was coming. And um, I know it's a crazy crazy event, didn't you? I, I did not know that Seattle had one of these, but you were telling me just the other day that Seattle has their own forty eight film forty eight hour film festival. Um, yeah. this exact same weekend, correct? Right. The forty eight hour film project is a nationwide deal and different cities that participate do so various weekends. This weekend was Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, Seattle, Washington, and I believe Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana. All three of these cities competed in the in the 48. So the great thing about it is that the best film from each city then goes on to compete against other states. So you have these national competitions. I don't know that I've ever heard of uh, a film from Little Rock winning the overall competition, but I would be interested to to see some of the national films. I've actually seen some of the international ones. There's a 48 that actually exists in Europe. And I'm blown away at some of the talent that, that these guys have and what they're able to accomplish in two days. It's just mind-boggling. I was talking to my wife, and she said uh, – I got a, a text from my from my editor, and he said, well, we got we got just over two hours worth of footage. And I told that to her, and she goes – for 12 hours of shooting and I go, yeah, that's exactly right. And then that all has to get condensed down to at the most seven minutes. So it's, I mean, it is a process, man. Right. It's such a learning, but, but it's such exposure on a, on a small scale of what filmmaking is. So I don't envy guys like Aaron Sorkin and James Cameron and Chris Nolan and all those guys that go into just fully embracing their roles as writers and directors and producers and knowing that they have to come up with something that's at the very least an hour and a half. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine how much footage you'd have to get for an hour and a half if we used the 48 hour film project as a base, you know, to, to just scale that up, it would be just enormous. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I figured listeners out there, I know you're listening from all over the United States and, and even the world. So check it out. If you're interested, 
how do they get involved? Do you have any idea, Patrick? Like, how did you randomly get involved in this? Do you have to know people? Do you have to have your own team together to go enter it? Or can you kind of like put your name in the hat as a solo participant? Well, you can go as a solo, but I don't know of a lot of people who are doing one-man films because with the amount of work that goes into having to actually get all this done I uh, and to have a good film, man, that's a Superman right there. But you can go to – you can just Google 48-hour film project. And it will be um, it'll take you to the national page and then you can see if your city that you're a part of is is on that list. And they'll tell you when the dates are, all the information of when you of what you need, what the requirements are. Um, It's pretty I mean, it's pretty lengthy as far as what their requirements and what the rules are. Uh, But once you get used to it and familiar with it, it becomes kind of second nature. Uh, but you can go to the national page and see kind of what it is, any information about it as a as a whole, and if it's come if it's at a city near you and when those dates are. Cool, that's awesome. Not something I personally am interested in, but in case anybody <laughs> listening is so inclined, now they they have the knowledge to go check that out. Yeah. So what about you? Uh, you've been traveling, obviously. That's the big news, and going on cruises, and uh, so anything other than those things. Well, I am glad to be home. Uh, it's one of those bittersweet things where you don't want the vacation to end, but the long days of kind of traveling to get home, I drove driving from Arkansas back to Seattle has been exponentially harder than driving from Arkansas or from Seattle to Arkansas because I was starting the vacation. It was more exciting. This time around, everything was a, a retread, and um, in particular, the day before today um the the next to last day of our trip was like a 13 hour in the car day and the heat was all the way up to like 111 at one point uh in idaho where we were and it was just it was it was crushing (laughs) soul crushing man um so in that regard you know i'm happy to be back but i'm also tired and i feel like i need a vacation from my vacation (laughs) and uh i don't think that uh my boss is gonna go for that unfortunately but what one of the things that we kind of rediscovered, and I say we, my kids and I, that went on the vacation with me, um, is our love of board games. We have been huge into the hobby board game world for probably five ish, six years now. Um, and I'd like to say thank you for introducing me to the world of board gaming in our local community. That was a great experience. Yeah, exactly. And, and so part of that was we kind of got reinvigorated. Um, through staying with a friend, fellow podcaster, Blaine Grimes. He and his wife, they um, host the Real World Rewind podcast through Real World Theology and also Home One Radio, a Star Wars podcast. He co-hosts that. So we stayed with them. We, we, we had known each other online only, but we talked a lot. We knew we had a lot in common, and I was like, hey, can we just you know crash for a night? We crashed there. They started pulling out board games. We realized, oh, my gosh, we have the same tastes. And uh, it just reinvigorated us. Um, We used to play board games multiple times a week. Um, It was a thing for us. We'd go to the stores here, the cafes here, rather, in Seattle. Um, We have board game cafes where you can go, you can check out games for free to play and try. Um, You can just sit there and play all day. They have um, beer, they have cider, they have full restaurant menus, and you just can make a whole day of it. And it was a big thing for us and kind of fallen by the wayside. But 
um, being able to take you to the shop there in Little Rock was a cool experience, getting to try out some different games with you and kind of show you what exists um, outside mm-hmm. of the Walmart game store aisle. <laughs> um, <laughs> these are not Monopoly and Scrabble uh, and right. things like that, that that we all grew up with. These are incredibly robust mechanics, game mechanics, um, puzzles. There's, there's, I can't really explain how deep it goes because there's literally – something for anyone any kind of type of enjoyment you would find from playing a game you could probably find it in a hobby board game uh store but point being we continued that after the after going with you and on the way back and so we got to play games again with Blaine and Shannon we got to play games the next night when we stayed with a buddy of mine in Colorado uh introduced one of his friends to games for the first time that was a blast and then we picked up this specific game that we've been excited about for a long time in Boise, Idaho, after that 13-hour day. We found a game store. We went and we bought it. We w- took it to the hotel, and we, we decided we were going to play it that night before we went to bed. The game in- that I'm talking about is called Pandemic Legacy Season 1. Now, for those that are not familiar at all with board games, Pandemic is a one of the most famous board games that that exist nowadays modern hobby board games um the the goal of pandemic it's a cooperative game where you're you're all on the same team and you all are taking a different role so patrick you might be a scientist or a researcher or a medic and i could do all those i could do all those just for the record I well could be all those i mean you, you you yes okay <laughs> i'm saying in, in my heart I can <laughs> it would be helpful <laughs> if you could but unfortunately the game doesn't let that happen so oh. when you when you take one you'll take one of these roles and these roles all have special special abilities essentially that allow you to do something that the others cannot do the medic can treat disease at a at a faster rate um the researcher can find a cure faster than other characters or the scientists can find a cure faster than other characters, things like that. So you take these roles and your goal is to stop the outbreak of a virus. And what the game is, is it's, it's a, a board that is the geography of the United States. And there's four different colors, four different viruses that are on it. And you're drawing from this deck and basically you're placing cubes that signify the virus getting bigger and once once you get a certain amount of cubes on a city, it does what's called outbreaking. And so every city that's attached to it on the grid gets its cube. <laughs> and so it starts this progression where eventually you have these chain reactions going off where it's like this one had three, it outbreaks, the line draws to another one that had three, well, now it has four, so boom, it outbreaks, and it just you're trying to stop it, right? Trying to stop the pandemic. It's a hard game. Um, it's a fun game. It is an intense game. Well, what the legacy version of this is, is a very recent trend in board gaming that happened a couple years ago. Started with Risk, did this exact same concept, and then Pandemic came along after. The legacy concept is that your game is a campaign, and your game changes over time. It's really only meant to be played through one time. Now, I say one time, our specific box is designed to be played over a period of 12 game months. So we're playing to stop this virus from eradicating the earth in 12 game months, January through December. 
we can play the game a minimum of 12 times. If we go 12 and 0, we'll win after 12 games and it'll be over. Or we could lose once each month. We're allowed that. So we could actually take 24 months before finishing this up. So we could play play the game 24 times. Well, what's different about legacy games is when you open the box, the first thing you see is this dossier in shrink wrap and it says top secret. <laughs> and what happens is as you progress through each game, you go to this deck and it tells you how the game is going to change. So you will have a new objective each game you play. Your game will never be the same as my game, Patrick, because I may have a virus that mutates and starts doing crazy thing and breaking game rules, where you may have a completely different virus that does completely different game-breaking things. Wow. Um, there are points where you'll reach in the game and you'll draw a card and you'll say, hey, go open box number one. And I'm like, what? what are you talking about? Well, in the bottom of the game box, there's like these little bitty boxes. And you open them. And there's like new components. <laughs> there's like a complete new game mechanic inside. Like, oh, hey, here's some new tokens and a whole new thing you can do now. We're changing the game completely. You're constantly putting stickers on the board to signify things that you have made choices. You can make upgrade choices. Um, your characters can die and you'd have to use a different one. Like you could lose a role forever if that character dies. It is crazy. It is awesome. It is. It has you name your characters. You get to name your diseases. It's it's a complete investment. It's meant to be played with a group that's going to do it together the whole way through, right? Like you're a team. So like the kids and I will do this all the way through. We played our first two games. We went 2-0. We're pretty excited. We were going to lose the last game. And my son, literally, as I was about to draw cards that would have ended the game, he was like, hey, why don't why don't we do this instead? And we could win right now. And, and and he was right. And so we were able to go from almost like what would have been certain death and we would have lost the game instantaneously right then to instead winning it. I mean, we were jumping around, high-fiving each other. Um, our board has already got all kinds of stickers on it after just two playthroughs. It's it's changed completely from the way we started two games ago. So there's like one whole page of the rule book that's just blank and – Eventually, you open up these little Advent-like calendar things, and you pull stickers out, and you put rules in the rule book. So you don't get them until you, as you're going through the game. It's, it's awesome, just awesome. And so, um, we have just fallen in love with our board gaming again, um, much like we we were in love with it a few years ago. And uh, it's it's been a great thing. And I, I encourage anyone. The hobby has exploded. We've gone from hundreds of thousands of people that were board gamers maybe 10 years ago to it's a millions of people now that are into this and that will know these games when you talk about them so seek out your local hobby board game store go see if they have a games library to check things out like i did with patrick um have somebody in the store just recommend something sit down play it and see if you like it i i am genuinely impressed with what i experienced uh with you guys for those you know two or three hours that we played a handful of games, all of which were very entertaining. Uh, and, and one of which I'm actually going to purchase at some point this week or next to introduce to, um, our, uh, some friends of ours that we, uh, that we do small group with. And I, I just, I walked away from that experience going, man, this community is just incredibly, 
I don't know, not genuine. I mean, that's that's a word to describe. But I just I just found myself between turns just looking around and seeing, you know, guys throwing magic cards down and laughing and just kind of goofing around there. And then I look over to another table and there's a guy with a tape measure uh, who's meticulously counting out inches where his die cast metal figurine is going to attack <laughs> and i'm asking you like what is all that and it's just and i'm looking at the like, what's it called the the uh the tryout uh shelf where they have all these games that we play you know these yeah the demo the, show it's demos the, mm-hmm. yeah and it's like you said i look at this and i go nowhere do i see monopoly or battleship or checkers or these things that i mean these are all original idea games but all the i mean for me these are all like new like oh my gosh i didn't know this was this and this and this and this and then i see your daughter like oh yeah i love playing this one and 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 i'm like whoa 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 what, what's going on here but i think what impresses me the most is not just the gaming community of seeing kind of people come together under one roof and just being able to you know randomly be asked to play a game and they're like sure why not we experienced that but also the games themselves have such a storytelling aspect to them. And you mentioned this particular one, how the creators of this game have expanded on that. And let's and you could you could say it's because, hey, let's try to get more money out of this game because it's awesome. But this is a creative way to extend the shelf life of of something that's already popular. And what I love about that is that these guys have the way you describe it, they have taken time to think about these things. It reminds me a lot of the choose your own adventure game uh, books that you would read that I would read as a kid. And I think about those now and go, man, think about how many choices that you'd have to write to lead to a certain ending or to lead to a dead end. And I think about that from the gaming community. And I think, imagine trying to come up with an object of a game and having to work backwards to think of the most creative way to get to the, the end of that game. Um, so I, I, I'm just personally incredibly impressed. This is not a hobby that I will pick up anytime soon just because I have too much on my plate already, but I'm so incredibly glad that I got a chance to experience that. And even if it's a small thing that I get to do, like introducing my friends to this, uh, this, this new board game that I've, that I've picked up from you guys, that's a step in the right direction, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's exactly what it's all about. You don't have to, to go and play games every single week of your life. Um, at a game store. I mean, it is a it is a hobby that takes a lot of time, and that's part of why I had a rough time with it because it, it's I can become obsessive very easily, and you know, sitting down to play two or three strategy games can be a six seven hour commitment. Um, I love it, and I will seek out the time to do that. But you could just as easily pick up this game that you're talking about, Codename Pictures. Um, which itself is kind of like a sequel to the original code names, which was just words, yeah, right on. words right. on cards. And now they expanded that. And they said, oh, let's try it with pictures. And you like that version of it. And now you introduce that to your small group of friends. And you guys can play that at a meeting or a get together instead of a Pictionary, right? Or something like that. And it's just, it's just a little bit of a different flavor, a little more of, uh, a little more of thought processes that are, that have to be involved in it. Um, gets the juices flowing. I, I love it. It's a great hobby and it's, it's great for, for those with kids. Um, gosh, the well runs deep. So if you want to get your kids interested in games, it will, you know, they can be completely educational as well. I could, I could go on and on and on forever. I'll, I'll shut up. But, um, yeah. So pandemic legacy, had a blast with it so far. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. I'll, I'll keep everybody updated as the season progresses and, and we see if we can save humanity or not. 
I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, all right. I know it's been a while. Just a couple of quick notes before we get on to Spider-Man Homecoming. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to have you rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google App Store, wherever you listen through. Ratings and positive reviews help us stand out, and they really let us find more listeners that can join the discussion. Speaking of that discussion, we beat this like a dead horse pretty much every episode, but we do have an active Facebook discussion group, and we really would love for you to be a part of that and come talk movies with us. We understand that not everyone uses Facebook, though, so... I kind of want to get a little bit of feedback. If you are interested in joining the conversation, if you want to find a place where you can come talk to other movie lovers about film throughout the week, each and every day, but you don't use Facebook and you're not interested in the Facebook discussion group, where would you like to see us expand that kind of conversation content? Do you use Slack? Do you use Reddit? Send us a message on Twitter or to the email address feelinfilm at gmail.com and let us know. Okay, with that, Patrick, here we go. Spoilers are coming. We're not going to hold back. We're talking Spider-Man Homecoming. Turn away now if you haven't seen it. Patrick, yes, when you got out of this movie, I said, I hope you liked it. And you said, that was fun. No, I said that was good. That was good. See, even, it, even, it met, even met, less it, descriptive than that was fun. And I said, and I said, it met my expectations. That's right. And it met my expectations. And I immediately felt my heart kind of sink a little bit. And I thought to myself, uh oh. And so I asked you, I said, is that code for, I don't want to tell you how much I loved it until the podcast, or I'm not going to, I'm not going to hurt your feelings by telling you I didn't like it and disappoint you. So give me the scoop. How, is it something other than just it was good and met my expectations or is that where you landed on this? <laughs> well, you know how we're always talking about how a movie doesn't have to be really terrible or amazingly great. You know, yeah, we, we talked about that? we've talked about that. Well, forget that because this was amazingly great. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So, yes. And, 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 and I say that, but, so my initial star rating is a four at this point. Okay. And it did meet my expectations. But part of it comes from the fact that, and this is something I want to actually talk about with you, is when you see, in the previous two iterations, you see you know that Sony logo come up, and you're like, okay, we're getting Spider-Man. But then when you see that new, updated, slick Marvel Studios uh, title card come up, you know, with all the reflective like previous movies, basically just saying, look how awesome we are. You're expecting something pretty amazing. I mean, we have come to expect from the MCU top notch Marvel films. So when we get a deviation, when we get something that's like, eh, that was okay, like Thor: The Dark World potentially, or you know, whatever. It's all. I mean, I know we're all talking subjectivity. Subjectively, when I see that, my trust level immediately goes up. Okay. Because I don't ever think that – I don't picture Marvel, the MCU, saying, oh, we're just going to phone this one in because we don't own this property. And so leaving the theater, I said, man, that was, a, that, was a, that was a Marvel film. That wasn't just Sony trying to be, here's our next iteration of Spider-Man because we're trying to keep the property. This felt like a Marvel film. It felt perfectly in line with the rest of the universe it didn't feel disjointed 
it really did live up to the movie's title. This was a homecoming. This was a, this is what Spider-Man should look like in the MCU. And I think they got it just right. Wow. I'm so happy. That makes me very, very excited. Um, if you can't tell already, I really enjoyed the movie. And um, I was nervous because anytime one of us sees something first and really, really loves it, obviously we want the other person to feel that same way and to have that same experience because <laughs> we want to share it with someone. And, you know, especially when it's your best friend, not just your podcast host, and we're talking about one of his, Patrick's favorite superheroes, um, I, I wanted that for you as well, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, two things on my takeaways when I walked out of the movie. First of all, I literally could not stop myself from whistling that new theme song. The Spider-Man Homecoming Suite is the name of the track. Um, I, I couldn't stop for like two days. I have just continued to listen to this soundtrack. I love, 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 love it. I think it is fantastic. Michael Giacchino did the score and knocked it out of the park. I remember listening to that particular track, that Homecoming Suite prior to the movie coming out. I actually had an internal debate with myself about whether or not I wanted to listen to it before I saw the movie. And I finally gave in. And I remember distinctly thinking, huh, you know, that sounds pretty interesting. It sounds okay. Like, it sounds like superhero music. (laughs) But there's no context for it before I saw the film. But when I saw the scenes taking place with that music swelling behind them it all was perfect and i just absolutely adored it and so for that to stick with me just so much when i walked out i thought that was a big deal the other thing for me that tells me a comic book movie has really 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 worked like upper echelon worked is when i walk out and i go somebody give me a comic book right now i immediately wanted to go read spidey I felt like this was the comic book Spidey that I remember reading from a few years ago. Um, it felt, you know, it just, his character to me was the Peter Parker that I'm used to reading um, tonally. And so I walked out just really enjoying it. And it was funny because there are films that I enjoy and I can tell you it's because I was thinking about them forever after I walked out of the movie theater. Or I could point to this deep, deep, deep content uh, that I was really struggling with and, you know, ruminating on. And it, it, Spider-Man Homecoming wasn't like that for me. I just felt that it nailed the world so well that yeah. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you my experience. I mean, the thing for me, Patrick, I think is that it's a small, it's a small scale movie. Mm-hmm. Ant-Man is in my top five MCU films. This one reminds me of Ant-Man. This and Ant-Man are, are the same vein. They're, mm-hmm. they're not dealing with a villain that is at the, at the moment trying to take over the entire world. Right. Or, mm-hmm. or at least not on the cusp of doing that. They are small scale stories that deal with intimate intricacies of a friendship a singular friendship relationship or a singular family relationship type type things. They're not dealing with other superheroes for the most part. And Mm so I compare them. I compared them a lot uh, when I walked out of this one in the way that I was feeling about it. 
Yeah, that's I mean, that's the reason why I think he's referred to as your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, because the battles that he takes on are primarily centered in, you know, in New York, in his hometown. He is, to me, uh, we know that a lot of Marvel superheroes, you know, take their residency in New York. But to me, Spider-Man is New York, just like from the DC world, Superman is Metropolis and Batman is Gotham City. If you want to put a city with a, you want to put a superhero in a city, Spider-Man is going to be New York to me. And I, and I love that. I love that he stands out without necessarily having to take on epic battles, right? And he, he, he does things because it fits with his character. I mean, depending on when you read the comics or what stories you're reading, he could be between 15 and 35. And he's always going to have that young quality to me. Um, he's always written in the comic book world He's always written in these iterations of of him on screen as a young person. I mean, and that's very, I mean, it's very new, or not very new, but very very original when it comes to how to portray superheroes or how superheroes are portrayed. All these other superheroes, Tony Stark, um, you know, Clark Kent, Bruce Wayne, they're all adults. You know, they're they're not dealing with the angst of being an adolescent, and I think that. This iteration of Spider-Man gives incredible balance to what I think the previous two didn't. Now, I will say personally, my favorite Spider-Man is Andrew Garfield, just because I love the story that that was how how they told the Amazing Spider-Man story with him. So that's you know, bias aside, I think that what what this Spider-Man does is it 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 attaches the best from. Tobey Maguire's and the best from Andrew Garfield's uh, case in point Sp- the original Spider-Man Sam Raimi's felt like a giant video game I mean the way in which Spider-Man was just swinging through the city and attaching his webs to these things that we don't see like he's just kind of flinging them like 200 yards away you know and just making these big giant swings um, Andrew Garfield's is more grounded we see they, they, they look like real web shooters. They don't look like CG necessarily, at least not to me. Um, and he's taking like active strides or whatever and, and doing, doing that. Tom Holland, Peter Parker, feels like a mesh of both. Like we feel like there's realness to – he doesn't look CG all the time. He doesn't look necessarily grounded all the time. He just looks like a great blend of both these Spider-Men uh, – Spider-Men, that's funny. Um, and I feel like that's part of what I – I enjoyed most about this was I didn't feel like I was like his character was lacking anything. You know, I felt like there was things lacking with Garfield and there were things lacking with Tobey Maguire. Right. But with, but with him, it felt perfect. It felt like this mm-hmm. was, this was who should have been not just Tom Holland, but this version of the character and the way he was fleshed out. This is how it should have been from the beginning. Yeah. And I, and I love that, that we can get that part of him that we don't first of all that we don't have to have an origin story. I love that they didn't have to do that. Amen that just, to that. Didn't have to see Uncle Ben die for the third time. Exactly. There you know th- to me that's a creator's way of saying to its audience you're smarter than we give you credit for and we're going to give you that credit. So I, I loved little things like I, I love that they did that that we didn't have to have that origin story. Um, but but that the that's a big thing that I took away from as I left the theater was man that was a really well balanced Spider-Man. Because we have so many, you know, we have two to compare him to. He just feels the most complete. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with anything you just said more. Um, 
I think one thing that really works in Tom Holland's favor too is his age. He mm-hmm. he isn't like twenty seven years old yeah. trying to play a fifteen year old. Um, I believe he's in his what early twenty one. Yeah, barely twenty one. So when he filmed this, he was probably twenty. Um, so yeah, I mean he's he's at least somewhat closer to looking like still a teenager. I thought, mm-hmm. um, and I felt like this group of teens was more believable. I also love that they didn't, they didn't go overboard. I've, I've complained about this before in previous podcasts and different movies, how I love the realism of, of a teenage coming of age story. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to see them acting like adults and doing adult things all the time. I, mm-hmm. I bought this one, you know, maybe it's because I've been on a, um, a mock trial team when I was in high school that actually traveled to Washington DC for a competition. Um, I've done quiz bowl <laughs> when I was in high school. So I could relate to this exact type of competition that these people were, these kids were involved in and it felt normal to me. They felt like the way that teenagers would act if, you know, they were on this team and going on this trip. Um, I don't know. It's just, I thought it, I thought that was really done well. And so that, that added a lot to it for me. Um, Ned as well, Mm -hmm. you, you know, when you, this was a risk. Okay. This was a huge risk because when you give a sidekick character so much screen time and so many things to say, so many kind of points to parts to play in the story, um, it can really fail if that comic relief is not well done, but I thought he was perfect. I thought every, every joke was right on. I thought he, every beat, every com- his comedic timing was fantastic. The bit where he, when he, fr- <laughs> sorry, I'm imagining his face when he sees, um, <laughs> Park Peter come through the, the window for the first time and realizes he's Spider-Man. He drops the, the Death Star, which broke my heart, by the way. I've never, <laughs> I've never gone through with purchasing that thing because it's expensive, but I can't imagine having put that thing together and then to just drop it like that and have it shatter. <laughs> and so I think it's super cool where at the end they've actually gone back together and put it, re- reassembled it. But anyway, from that moment when, when you see his face and that shock, all the way through leading into school the next day where he is doing nothing but quizzing. Is there a spider? Is the spider still there? Can it bite me? Like everything he said in that scene, that whole sequence was hilarious. Just LOL laugh out loud. Funny. Yeah. This is a film that I don't want to, I don't want to use the phrase doesn't take itself seriously because I think it does. But I think what it does is it, 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 (laughs) you said it earlier. I think it, really airs on the side of a coming of age film instead of it being a blown out superhero. And I think that's what I saw more importance placed on because there were so many scenes that weren't just about, uh, which the lack of the origin story, I think helps this. There were so many scenes that were really about the things that teenagers deal with, you know, having a crush or making sure that your mom doesn't find out about something you're trying to hide. Um, all these different things that you know kids stuff teenage stuff that adolescents deal with mm-hmm. that 
the writers and the director and the creative team decided, hey, you know what? Let's let's bring these out in the open and let's have some fun with them. And I think that's what Ned really ultimately represents. He represents the curious teenager in all of us that if our best friend we found out was a superhero, was this Spider-Man, we'd be asking those questions too. I love the fact that he was so unapologetic when Peter said, you can't tell anybody about this. He's like, okay, yeah, no, I won't. Okay, but I probably will. You know, it's just this this thing because that's what we would do. We'd be like, yes. oh, yeah, your secret's safe with me. And you're like, no, I, I got to be honest with you. I, it, it's not safe with me. I'm going to say something. And, you know, the relationship between him and him and Peter feels very genuine. Like they feel like two, two oddballs in this school, they feel like outcasts. And they, they, they've latched on to one another for various reasons. And I hope in these future installments that we get more of their relationship and that Ned has, um, has an equal amount of, of importance as he did in this one, not because he wasn't just a sidekick. I mean, he became somebody very important. He was quote, the guy in the chair. And he was so excited about that. So I, I love the fact that great care is taken even with side characters that they don't, I don't feel like there are any throwaway characters in this movie. I feel like all of them have purpose. All of them have a reason to be in here and not just, oh, Peter needs to learn how to shoot his web slinger. So let's let's create this guy to be his, you know, his his target or whatever. And, you know, there are some of those, but the main characters that have speaking lines and have, you know, they push the plot along. I don't feel like they were throwaway at all. No, no, me either. I, I enjoyed all of them and I I bought it all. And I, I thought it hook, line and sinker. I, I understood the the quote-unquote romance aspect i've seen some reviews that have said you know did we really need a romance in this okay i don't know what movie you were watching but there's not really a romance in this there's a high school in there's a high school crush because he's in high school and that's what you do in high school is you have a crush on the girl that you like you know what i mean like that felt very normal it didn't feel at all uh forced or out of place to me I think that if they had made it into something more and tried to make it serious, then I would have had a problem with it. But in the end, it's like, hey, I liked you. And she's like, hey, well, you had a shot, but, you know, you're pretty unreliable. And now I got to move. And so, whoops, we're done. And there, and it's over. And that's that's kind of how life goes when you're 15, you know. <laughs> and so I loved how that was handled. Um, I, I liked the, the makeup of the New York uh, class as well. I, I thought it was incredibly diverse and not forced feeling. You know, we had an Asian principal. Um, Zendaya was playing Michelle, and we'll talk about who she really is. Um, I'm sure you had Ned. Um, so you had all kinds of different races and, and ethnicities and, and genders going on um, in this high school. So it felt like Brooklyn to me, you know, like downtown New York. Uh, and I thought that was fantastic. So, actually, can we do it now? Can we talk about Michelle and and, and sure. her character? So, all right. I did not see it coming. I, I I don't. I heard people say that they did, and that it was telegraphed. I had no idea. When she said, "You can call me MJ," I almost let out a curse word out loud in the theater because I was so surprised. I did not see that coming. Mm-hmm. Now that I have settled, let it settle a little bit. 
I think it's really cute how it was revealed and how her character interacted with Peter throughout the film. Because essentially what she is doing the entire movie is flirting with him. Just in the way that he has a crush on Elizabeth and doesn't know how to act around her and gets flustered. MJ, Michelle, is showing us another way that high schoolers act when they have a crush on someone and don't know how to act around them, right? And that is the, I'm going to make fun of you. I'm going to joke. I'm going to laugh at you. I'm going to do this thing to kind of let the tension go out of the fact that I'm feeling nervous around you or anxious around you. And so I thought it really, really sweet and really cute. And I'm kind of excited to see where it goes at this point, actually. What's what's interesting about this is in the comics, we know what MJ stands for, Mary Jane. We know that she's a redhead, and we know that she is one of two of Peter Parker's love interests. Again, if I'm going to go back to why you know, my enjoyment of The Amazing Spider-Man is because I love the relationship between Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy. But MJ, Michelle, in this one is almost like a combination of both. You know, she's got this, not really crush, but she's almost like looking out for him. And she's also um, a little aloof here and there. So there's this there's this kind of confidence that she carries, even though it's kind of in the shadows or whatever. I, I love the line where she's sitting in detention and, and Peter and, I don't know if it's Peter by himself or if Ned's with him, but they take off. And the, the detention teacher's like looking at her like, you're not supposed to be in here. And she's like, yeah, I like just sketching things. And so she shows a picture of the gym teacher or the, the detention teacher. And so we get this whole character who's, who's new. I mean, I, I don't know of a Michelle in the comics that has a connection with Peter Parker. But I think that this tells us that this isn't Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. This isn't Mark Webb's Spider-Man. This is a new Spider-Man, and there's a lot that's new about this guy, but let's go ahead and create a new kind of lore. It doesn't have to necessarily fall in line with all the comics, and I thought that was a bold move. I mean, if, if she's meant to be the, quote, MJ that we've come to know and love, and she looks nothing like her and kind of acts maybe half like her and half like Gwen Stacy, I'm okay with that because that gives a little bit more breathing room. It gives you the ability as an audience to say, okay, let's see how her character progresses throughout the rest of this, you know, anthology of Spider-Man movies. And I think for the creators, it gives them a, a clean slate to start with and nothing to compare to, you know, cause we've already seen MJ in, in Sam Raimi. We've already seen Gwen Stacy and Webbs. Now let's see somebody new that encompasses both, but that still has that connection, at least through like these initials. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. You're muted. Because I don't know that they really want to hear what I have to say. So what about <laughs> the villain? Vulture, right? This is yet another bird role for the great <laughs> Michael Keaton. We've been Batman, we've been Birdman, now we're Vulture. Um, <laughs> did you did you like him in this role? Did you like the character as a villain? Okay. So I love Michael Keaton in most everything he does. Uh, Mr. Mom is going to be one of my favorite films that he's in. And so anytime I see him, whether it's Batman or Birdman or any kind of man, I'm always going to hear him say, where does Bobby keep the extra diapers? You know, he's just always going to be 
um, one of my favorite actors. And I think he's one of the most more underrated actors in terms of his diversity, because I think he just does a phenomenal job. Um, this is probably where my, my star rating takes the dip is that while I like the character, he had to grow on me because he felt at least at first one dimensional. And there were a couple of fight sequences that felt a little long to me. Um, in some ways I felt like his, his character was one that had, um, a little flatness to it, but it was the introduction of the connection with uh, Peter and his daughter that I think gave it weight. So we're introduced to him and we're told, you know, we, we see him. Again, another thing I love about this movie is it connects it all the way back to Avengers. Mm-hmm. And so we see him. He's, a, he's basically a construction worker that's salvaging all these great uh, alien tech. And then he's told, hey, you're off the job. I guess it's Tony Stark's, you know, whatever company that's, that's taken, taken over. And then it... It fast forwards to, uh, I think, just around Civil War, and we see him as you know he's basically uh, made his own little uh, tech empire, uh, underground tech empire. But we know from the beginning what his motive is. I have a family to feed. I have a family to take care of. And I think it took not just them saying that a couple of times, but the connection uh, with with Peter and his daughter to really make that stick. Because if, if because what we have is her connected with Peter, who we've grown to kind of care for their kind of uh, teenage crush relationship. And now that she's connected with, with Keaton's character, I think that it gave a lot more um, legitimate weight for me. So I would have to say at first, and maybe in general, eh, Vulture, whatever. It's not really a compelling villain. But the motive behind him I think had the potential has the potential to be something better because Marvel has a history of having just very one-off villains you know here's our new character that we're introducing let's give him a stale villain to fight he's going to overcome and then we'll we'll launch him I I, Spider-Man was on the verge of doing this and I think they kind of did it in some ways but for the most part no I liked him I, I, I would like to see there was part of me that wished that he had actually beaten Spider-Man or that something had happened where we get to see him again. Cause I felt like he needed more than this film to make me f- kind of, I don't know, care about his character. Mm-hmm. Did you, it, did you see him be being her dad? That was no, another... not at all. And yeah. that's what I think elevated. His oh character's my movie. gosh. Yeah. That moment. I, went, I was like, what just a, Oh my gosh. And the whole time Peter has just got eyes on him. It's not just awkward. Peter it's like oh my goodness does he know who I am and I'm going to kill him you know all these different things that you can see going through his head based on his like nonverbal communication it's really great yeah that that whole scene was was one of my absolute favorite scenes just the the nervousness of Peter and just mm-hmm. him freaking out internally going what do I do right now um I really really liked him I thought his acting was this new Michael Keaton level of, of fantastic. I thought he brought that to this movie. Um, despite kind of, I mean, he, I think that in the scenes where he shined, he's shown just as good as he has, he ever does. Um, I think that the script is hard to give a super deep, (laughs) compelling performance. And that's kind of what you're getting at with, 
you know, all that he has to do in this movie. But I liked him. I liked the idea of him. And I liked the concept of this guy who's just trying to provide for his family. Um, he is not a career criminal. Uh, he doesn't come up as a criminal. He simply has a bunch of people. And in fact, he tries to stand up for his group of workers and their families and his families and ends up getting guns pointed in his face, gets his contract taken away and, and all of their ability to earn, you know, removed from them by essentially by force. And, uh, and so he fights back for what he feels is his right, his way to provide for his family. And so he kind of is this character that believes that the end justifies the means. And even when, even throughout until the, almost to the very end, he is not what you would consider kind of like a a hard criminal, you know? I mean, yeah, he's stealing alien tech, but no one ever gets hurt in any of these interactions. Um, the one guy that is killed, it's it's an accident because he grabs the wrong gun, <laughs> which was hilarious, by the way. And he's like, I thought yeah. this was the anti-gravity gun. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. And and, and it's e- even more funny because while he's doing it, you know, he do, you don't see that him go through that questioning until hindsight. But while while he's doing it, it's like he stays in character like he even though he's kind of shocked that he just evaporates this guy, he stays like he acts like he meant to. And then at the end, he's kind of like, well, how did that? Why did that happen? Um, so he doesn't really get evil until the end. Right. And then and I, I like that he's carrying through. So I like the fact that I actually had I was nervous because this was one of the, the one things that I kind of was iffy on there at the end. He knows Spider-Man's identity, clearly, and mm-hmm. all that happens is Spider-Man leaves him to be taken in by the cops. Well, Ky- uh, why wouldn't he reveal the identity, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of questionable on that. Um, I liked the scene in the prison there that we got at the end that kind of alludes to the fact that he's not done yet, that he's coming back. Um, Vulture, for those of you that don't know... Uh, obviously not a very common name. Most of us didn't know who the heck he was as a villain. If you're not a big comics mm-hmm. fan, um, but he is one of the original members of the sinister six. Mm-hmm. I want a Spider-Man film franchise that builds to the sinister six. I am right. so, I was, I think, I think that even though I don't love the vulture storyline, I loved Michael Keaton as the character trying to be a dad, taking care of his, his wife and his kids and the fact that it wasn't a green goblin story. <laughs> I was right, so done right. with that character for a while that I needed something fresh. And so mm-hmm. I love that they were willing to go with this fresh character. And I think it suits this small scale neighborhood type story mm-hmm. very well that you're not, yeah. because if, if he was facing off against a villain with enormous powers, then that's going to make things escalate, whether you want them to or not. Vulture doesn't have amazing powers. He just doesn't, you know? So he's he's a legitimate possibility that there's a legitimate possibility that Super, Superman, that Spider-Man could beat him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's reasonable. And, he, 
Right. And in the, the tone of this film, when we mentioned earlier that it's small scale, I mean, Vulture's a regional supervillain. I mean, he's a regional villain. He's not one that's going to try. And his motive, like you mentioned, is not to take over the world. It's to save his family. And at least in part, we can all connect with that. And we, maybe, it asks, maybe it allows us to ask the question, would we do something like that if given the opportunity, if put in that position? How far would we go to make sure our family's taken care of? Now, to the, in, in some ways, to the detriment of the film, this gets a little too preachy. I felt like there could have been a scene or two that he didn't have to remind us as an audience through dialogue, I'm doing this for my family. Um, he could have... I don't know. I I don't know how he could have, how they could have made that better. But I felt like there were a couple of places where, by the time we get to the end, I'm going, "Yep, I know, doing it for your family. You've 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 made sure that we know that." Um, I will say this: as much as I didn't care as much for the final fight, I did love the, I did love the moment that that he sort of turns the tables on Peter uh, with his suit and Peter thinks he's trying to attack him. The suit's trying to, he's trying to get the suit to attack him. He's like, nope, that's not what I'm doing. And there's like an ulterior motive. I thought that was kind of cool because I think in, in a small way it gave what the movie is trying to do and it's just create a lot of misdirection. That camouflage, you know, there were a lot of, Oh, that camouflage jet though. I mean, oh, it was cool. That was I, cool. The whole fight scene was made like, I didn't care about it as I didn't care how good it was or how bad it was because that jet was just so, freaking cool <laughs> lots of good tech in this film and uh, speaking of which can we talk about the suit for a little bit because i think that's something that a lot of people are going to initially make comparisons to are the three different suits that we've seen in the spider-man iterations um i personally loved it i loved the tech side of it uh wh- what did you think oh my gosh i just bought the pop figure like right when i came out like two days after i came out of the movie and uh, I, I was at I was at Barnes and Noble, and uh, I, I saw both. There's a pop figure with the new suit, and there's a pop figure with him in his uh, homemade suit with his hoodie. And the I asked my kids, you know, which one should I get? And one of them said the the hoodie suit or or you know outfit. And I was like, are you are you crazy? No, I love this new suit. I thought it was awesome. The scenes with the AI built into it, I thought was a great touch. Um, I don't have a problem with that. See, that's new. That's not something Spider-Man's had before, mm-hmm. to my knowledge, obviously. Yep. Um, yep. I loved him naming it Karen. I loved him talking to it throughout. I loved the whole gag with the instant kill mode that she keeps <laughs> yeah, trying to put him great. in, and he's freaking out. Um, and I love. I just love like all of the fighting styles that it has built into it, and and the whole um, you know you, the whole a- aspect of Ned being like, "There's a training wheels program," and he's like, "I don't, I don't think we should take this off," <laughs> and and then obviously it not going well for him. Um, mm-hmm. You know that's par for the course that's that's the way it should work uh but i i love it man i thought it was an awesome suit it made me more excited and interested in the character than i ever have been when he was just running around with just the web slingers just normal like just using you know webs as we know them oh man for sure and it makes perfect sense this is a suit that was designed by tony stark so why wouldn't it have all those cool gadgets in it 
and a talking AI inside it. So here's a little piece of trivia for you. Okay, you ready for this? Mm -hmm. So Karen is voiced by Jennifer Connelly. Yes, correct. Who is married to Paul Bettany, who is Vision. Vision. Who was formerly what? Uh, Jarvis. Jarvis. The AI inside. The Iron Man suit. How cool is that? The two AIs that exist in the suits that Tony Stark designs are married in real life. That Whoa. is that's really creepy. That's that's me just being like weird connection and I loved it. I was like mind blown for me. So I'm thinking <laughs> Paul Bettany's like, hey, you know who would make a great voice in this suit? My wife. And you know, I'm I'd like to believe that's what happened, but I thought that was kind of a cool little connection there. You know, you got the two AIs that, you know, they are they have a little AI marriage going on in real life. It's kind of neat. But all that being said, I thought the I thought the tech was fantastic. I, I love the fact that we're gonna get a quote relationship between Peter and Karen. That she's gonna have this this fun little banter with him. I love that when she says uh, um, he's expressed kind of his feelings toward um, toward the girl, and and she's like, "This is the part where you should probably tell her how you feel." And he's like, "Shh, be quiet. Don't talk." And uh, I love that. I thought the I, I love that it was new, just like the the MJ, uh, the MJ mo- the MJ portion of it. Uh, I thought that it was just really really good. Yeah, me too, man. I I loved it too. I thought it was great. I can't wait to see where they take that that suit. I can't either. I can't either. Um. So what about um. Well, we've already talked about the team up of Marvel and Sony and how it worked really well. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to bring to the table? Well, actually, we haven't really talked about that in okay. in that regard. Um, so uh, you mentioned the opening credits. I thought they were really well done as well. I found it interesting how Sony gets the first shot, right? The first production company that pops up is, boom, black screen, Sony, and then we get kind of the pre-opening scene um and then as you mentioned we roll into the actual marvel credits and we get the awesomely remixed spider-man theme which my daughter noticed and pointed out and was like elbowing me dad do you hear that do you hear that that's spider-man theme did you catch that i did i did i caught that um didn't surprise me, but I, I liked hearing it. I yeah. did like hearing it. Well, I just found it interesting that that plays when the Marvel part starts. And then I, I got to tell you, I did not – as a production company, I don't feel that Sony had much to do with this. I mean it feels just like an MCU movie that's not attached yeah. to the MCU, which is why I like it so much. I don't think there's an Infinity Stone to be found in this movie. Um that this one doesn't really tie in to anything else in an overarching way that we have mm-hmm. any knowledge of yet. So I, I thought that was fantastic. That was a big plus for me. Um, but I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I just don't know how this is going to work, man. I just don't know. I, I guess Sony's making money, but they really can't take any credit for this. Nobody's going to give them credit for this <laughs> anyway. So if, I guess if you're just looking for the money aspect, then good, good, good job. Yay. Good. Go. You, what what really has me kind of worried, nervous, questionable is how we're going to manage a Sony-specific Spider-Man universe that doesn't 
include a lot of Spider-Man. <laughs> well, let's talk about this. Um, because the ending where Peter turns down the, the offer to become an Avenger, I think is on a small scale exactly what we're kind of being groomed to, to understand. Had he... So I think I think your 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 issues would have probably grown had he said absolutely I'm going to be an Avenger, because now you'd have to figure out okay where do we put him you can't put you can't put him in an Avengers movie, uh, at least not legally without getting Sony to approve and they'd never approve, uh, you know you basically have you know, Spider Man on loan I mean he barely made an appearance in Civil War I don't know how much that cost <laughs> Marvel to do that, what I think you know. I don't know how it's going to work either, but I love the fact that because he didn't, because he chose not to be an Avenger, because he chose to say, look, I'm going to keep my feet on the ground. I think that bought them some time. Uh, Marvel Studios. What I'd love to see uh, is to look at the massive, and I mean massive, uh, box office opening. And for Sony and, and Marvel Studios to look at each other and say, you know what? We don't all have to have all the money. We can share this. Let's make a good story. Let's put this guy and let's expand this universe and make it successful. Now, if I'm Sony and I have access to one character and I'm looking at this other company that wants to borrow my guy and they have like access to nine or ten successful characters, that might cheese me off a little bit. But I would love if these companies would look at us, the fans, and say, let's make something good for them. Let's not sabotage for the sake of just having a pissing contest financially speaking let's let's collaborate i would love that i don't know that it's going to happen but i feel like the ending of of this spider-man movie opened the door to at least explore some more individual films and eventually maybe move him into the mcu i, I yeah i mean yeah pipe dream woo-woo, i agree i mean as a fan i just don't see it i don't i don't understand I, I think of it from a business standpoint and i'm trying to figure out what sony gonna get out of this you know like sony isn't the one running this show they're not making this movie that did so well it's marvel it's because it's marvel now what would be helpful in driving to a that type of conclusion would be if venom blows up and is awesome then we have something to talk about if sony can make it on their own and make it intriguing and interesting and make it feel like this that's great but it, it's not if it, i don't think it's them you know that's what I was curious about is how, how does that work? Sony's going to be making this venom versus carnage movie that is in the same like world kind of, and Spider-Man can cross over. So that's what they have right now. Spider-Man can kind of jump between the MCU and the Sony world. So Sony's going to be making Spider-Man pictures that are not Spider-Man movies. They're going to be about all these different characters within the Spider-Man world, but they're not going to feature Spider-Man that sounds terrible to me. Like, I mean, I don't need them all to be Spider-Man movies, but I just, I just don't know how it's work gonna work. I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see it all play out. Ultimately, I'm just happy that this one worked, and uh, wherever it goes from here, you know, we shall see. But I love Tom Holland. He is my Spider-Man now. He is my favorite personal one. Um, like I said, about the pop figure, I'm a Spider-Man fan now, and it's because of this movie. Yeah, I, I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of trust in the fact that Marvel, like the MCU, with as much 
delicacy and as much um, consistency as they've handled all of their films to maintain and to build this universe, I don't think that they would go into purchasing or borrowing, renting Spider-Man and allowing Sony to get, I don't know how much of a cut. They, I don't know that they would venture into this world without having some bigger plan, at least something pretty solid in place to say, okay, let's talk about what you're going to do. And I mean, I honestly, I don't think he's going to be used that much in the next Avengers movies. I mean, or at all. I don't think he's going to make an appearance until phase four, honestly. Um, mostly because they've already got these stories written. And unless you're just going to try to shoehorn him in here just to make fans happy, like, oh, look, it's Spider-Man again. I mean, I think there's always going to be some method to the madness when it comes to the Marvel Comics universe. And when they say, when they're, when they're saying not just we want to bring Spidey into our universe, they're bringing him in with purpose. So I don't think that they would even start this process of working with Sony if they didn't have some kind of plan in place. So I, I'm I'm optimistic. Maybe it's a pipe dream, but I'm optimistic that this the success of this film will create more collaboration with, at the very least, these two companies. But hopefully, man, hopefully Fox will get on board and be like, you know what? Let's get some X-Men in here, too, and create oh. a big giant universe, you know? Gosh, I hope so. Man, so. I really hope so. Hey, one more thing before we do connecting points. I always do this. I always look for the one use of the F word in a PG 13 movie. It's one of my favorite things to do. I like to figure out cause that's all that the, uh, the motion picture rating Alliance will allow you to have just one. And so I'm always curious how it's used and will it be, you know, will it work out well or is it, you know, kind of you know, poorly, poorly chosen. And <laughs> this was awesome. I, 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 I loved it. I couldn't help it. I thought it was fantastic. Everybody was just, bursting out gut laughing there at the very end of the film when aunt may sees him and just says what the <laughs> and then boom she says it we cut it off like almost as she's finished saying it and then we boom it's it's over and that dude that was great i love that i thought that was great too and um you know it's interesting because now she in some iterations of spider-man she doesn't know in other iterations she does comics and movies otherwise so seeing how this goes uh, again, will be something of interest. You know, will she become a central character um, getting, you know, getting uh, kidnapped or her life being put in danger? I don't know. But uh, just a little FYI, again, for uh, when it comes to a financial thing, um, I was just reading that Sony paid an upfront producer's fee to Disney uh, for them to use the Spider-Man likeness. And Sony... Uh, from from this website, I don't know how official it is, comicbook.com, so it sounds pretty legit, they reap all, all of the box office benefits from from this film. So, not bad to have someone else do your homework for you, you know? <laughs> You're basically, if that's the truth, then um, Sony's pretty smart in my book. Right, I mean, it's, you know? it, yeah, I mean, from a money-making standpoint, sure. Again, it's like, think of it it's 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 simply it's business you know it's it's no different than if if i made uh, a piece of art and you sold it under your name and because you sold it under your name you were able to get two million dollars and you just handed me the money but it was always known as patrick's piece of art well (laughs) whoopee you know like i get the money but i'm not getting i I, I disagree with that sony doesn't care about respect i mean this is a win-win for everybody 
I mean, in the case of business, yeah, Sony doesn't care that somebody, they're not looking for respect for Spider-Man. I mean, they're looking to make money just like Disney is. And I think I'm, I'm grateful that the, the guys behind the MCU are like, we want to create great stories and make a lot of money. Whereas Sony's like, okay, you can use our property and we're going to keep the money. And they're like, that's fine. We have enough. So it's win-win for every person involved in my book. I mean, we get the benefit of a great film, Sony gets a lot of money, and Disney gets to create the story that they've always wanted to. So fantastic with me. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. I hope it continues like that and we are able to do that. I just This is business, and ultimately yeah. business is a matter of greed, and ultimately someone I feel is going to have to give in this situation. Okay. And, and okay. I, I dread that. <laughs> also, All right. best post-credit stinger ever? Yeah, maybe. I thought I thought it was fine. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I'm just I'm over the I'm over the post credits at this point. Well, they're, yeah, they're totally out of control. But I thought that the fact that this was incredibly meta and poking fun at it was oh yeah, I mean super yes. unique and fun. Yeah, I laughed at it for sure, and uh, you know thought just yeah, but nothing nothing like <laughs> yeah, it was fine. <laughs> Well, okay. I thought it was one of the best ever, so Patrick obviously did not. Okay. I guess that wasn't your connecting point, huh? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> well, since your connecting point was not Captain America telling us to have patience, Patrick, what was your connecting point? <laughs> For me, is the I love the whole bit you mentioned earlier of Spider-Man taking the training wheels off of his suit, hacking his suit, and going through that whole ordeal of learning the different things what I loved about it was that we get a small what we what we think is a small piece of the capabilities of his suit, and mm-hmm. his dis, his discovery of all that is fantastic. Um, you know, the idea of having AI was new, and to me that felt refreshing. It didn't feel like we were just getting like we all know what Spider Man's suit can do, and now we don't. Now we have a whole new batch of things that these designers can come up with and say, well, what if he could do this? What if he had, you know, you know, rollerblades on his feet, you know, whatever. They're not going to do that hopefully, but there's always the possibility of new things being added because we're given this sort of picture that there's more to the suit than what we know, even after watching the film. But I even love how he engaged in it, how excited he was, how this felt just very, much like a teenager when he gets the keys to a new car, uh, how he just his excitement really felt genuine, mm-hmm. and and I love that the I love that the whole thing ends with with him saying, "How long have I been here in this warehouse?" Because that's where he's trying out all the stuff, and she goes, "35 minutes." He's like, "What? 35 <laughs> minutes?" Because yeah. you think like you think like eight hours has gone by when no, it's not that way. But I just think that his suit introduces a lot, not only from a technical standpoint and potential there, but adding Karen brings a different relationship that he can have, which I think we've seen works with Tony and Jarvis early on in the Iron Man films. I know that was one of my favorite kind of uh, chemistries was with those two guys, and I love that they've reintroduced it here with with Peter and Karen. I hope that that continues. But I, at the very least, this was a scene that I felt like I – um, if I could step back and look at myself, it was the part that I smiled at the most. You know, it, it didn't have to have a lot of running jokes and gags or whatever. It was just Peter showing off who he was if given a Spider-Man suit. You know, it was just really lots of fun. And I think it kind of epitomized who we are 
getting to know as the new Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. Like we talked about, I thought it was I thought it was absolutely great and a ton of fun. What about you? What was your connecting point? Well, mine was on the roof um, after the ferry had gone. Well, I was going to say gone down after the ferry scene had gone down and the ferry was uh, kind of saved by Tony in the Iron Man suit. He lands up where Peter is. Peter is clearly dejected. Um, he's feeling guilty. He's he's very just disappointed in himself. And Tony starts having this conversation. And, of course, this all starts off by Peter saying, you know, you can't even be here to, to have this conversation. And Tony walks <laughs> out of the Iron Man suit, which is great. I love, I love that. Completely awesome setup because previously in the film that didn't happen and it was a big joke when the Iron Man suit was talking to him and Tony was flying it while driving down the road in some foreign country. Um, and I, I love this conversation because they're talking and it really, Tony mentions that Peter is 15 years old during this conversation. And it really reminds us at that point that he's still a kid that all this stuff that just happened and took place, like he's still in high school. And yes, we see scenes of him in high school, but for me, for me, hearing that, spoken um was kind of a a big deal and peter tries to interrupt tony while he's talking and tony just says shush the adults are talking and and he he really shuts him down like like not kind of in a quippy way but in a in an adult mentor like hey listen now it's time for you to be quiet and listen to me because i am an adult and i'm talking and i'm giving you advice and i'm telling you things that you need to hear and this is not the time for you to talk and he then says, if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. That's when he says he's going to take it away. I loved that idea because from that point forward, that's the theme of the movie to me is Peter finding himself not needing the suit. Who are you going to be without the tech and the gadgets and all of that stuff? And so when he ultimately succeeds by taking out Vulture and fighting this fight and going on this this adventure by himself without the suit, just in his homemade costume, for me it proves that he kind of has learned this lesson. Like he kind of finds himself. He knows who he's going to be. He doesn't need the suit, so to speak. And he, for me, he earns it, which makes for a great story. And I think it also makes for a great talking point with kids because it shows us a character who isn't just given everything and you know he is in the beginning but we we see the adult come back and say okay i gave you this thing and you weren't responsible with it and so now i'm going to take it away and you're going to have to earn it and so he does and then ultimately of course he gets it offered back to him and and does get it and i just i just loved that i thought that was great it made me happy um i thought it was well done it gave me something to root for that I could relate to and I could use when I, like I said, I could talk to my kids about. And I, I just thought it was I thought that that part of the storytelling was um, really well done and something I was not used to seeing in a Marvel movie. I agree. And that's a great scene. I mean, it's the, I think it's the one you could call it the one uh, after school special moment, you know, the turning point in which, you know, it leads into the third act. But I think, you're right. It pays itself off. It doesn't feel cheesy after that. And even at that point, it didn't feel cheesy. It felt like what we were about to get was was something that we expected, but seeing how it played out was very satisfactory. So I enjoyed that scene as well. 
Sweet. Well, do you have anything else before we wrap this one up? I do not. All right. Well, listeners, if you would like to connect with us further, you can find the show all over social media. We're at Feelin' Film on Twitter. We are facebook.com slash Film on Facebook. Um, there's a Facebook discussion group that I mentioned earlier in the episode. You can find links to that on the website, feelinfilm.com. You can also find a link to that in all of our show notes and blog posts for this episode and every episode. It's really easy to get there, and we would love you to come join the group and the conversation with us. If you want to talk to me specifically, you can reach me all over the web at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. That goes the same for pretty much anywhere you want to contact me. Thanks, Aaron. And if you want to uh, get in touch with me or continue the conversation on this or other stuff that we've talked about or stuff that we haven't that you'd be interested in talking about, you can find me at the big three social media network site thingies on the interwebs, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H, or you can catch me on my website, thisispatch.com. Next week is somewhat of a busy week, I guess. We have two episodes coming out. On Friday, we have our delayed June donor pick, the faculty that we'll be having a <laughs> an interesting conversation about. Uh, I've seen it uh, already for this episode. I'm going to watch it again because there were parts of it that I just wanted to go back and say, did I really just watch this? So this will be fun. But yeah, we're looking forward to having that conversation, and that's coming to you on Friday. And then the following Monday, our next uh, regular episode, we'll be covering the uh, the upcoming War of the Planet of the Apes. And uh, I'm going to try to get uh, re-caught up. I've seen the first one. I haven't seen the second one. So I want to get back into this uh, the world of apeness and catch those two this week. So you'll probably see me doing that uh, via our Facebook group. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I just bought them for us. So they're in there. I watched them with my kids last week on vacation, introduced them to them, got back into it uh, to recap, and it was, it's great. I mean, it's, they're still just as good as I remembered, especially Dawn. It's just an incredible, incredible film. I'm, I'm so excited for War for the Planet of the Apes and mildly, I guess, kind of excited. I'm excited about the uniqueness of the faculty episode. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> like you said, it, it will be interesting to have that conversation. Um, should be fun. Well, nonsense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's what we were going for. That's what that's what this yep. poll was all about. So, all right, listeners. Well, thank you for uh, sticking with us for this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it, and we hope you liked Spider Man as much as we did. Come on over to the Facebook group, or hit us up on Twitter or email, and let us know what you thought of the film. And until next time, like we always recommend, stay positive and keep feeling film. <laughs> <laughs>